Kiana, thank you very much. Uh, well, it's wonderful to uh, see you this morning. Uh, we are uh, having a very special uh, service today to begin, not to end, but to begin our celebrations of a uh, hundred years of the Pentecostal movement, but perhaps more significantly, Pentecostal experience, Pentecostal power and anointing in the British Isles. In the very early uh, weeks of 1907, 100 years ago, there was a lady in London, her name was Catherine Price, and uh, Catherine Price attended a prayer meeting in London, just a few people there. She was so excited, having spent some time praying, that she went home and continued to pray back in her London home. In her London home, the Holy Spirit came upon her and filled her and she began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave utterance to her. Today, we might think that that was wonderful but common, but as far as we can know, this lady was the first, if, if not the first, one of the first people in the British Isles to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues for many, many hundreds of years. And so today we're holding, we're going to hold a number of services like this this year. And we want to begin today right here in January, because in, a, in some sense, uh, because it's the beginning of the centenary year, and in another sense because uh, this fire of the Spirit that came, first came, to, first came to a lady, ladies, first came to a lady praying on her own, just alone with God, and she received the full baptism of the Holy Spirit, and uh, as we will see today, the story uh, didn't end there. Now, we have a number of uh, guests here today, and I'm just going to invite you just to stand if you are uh, a guest with us today. You've come here this morning especially because it's the uh, Pentecost 100 celebration. If you have come here especially as a guest, can you just stand? And we just want to greet you. So please just feel free to stand. That's it. There's a whole load more. Wow, look at this. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome. You may be seated. <laughs> well, we're glad you came. And uh, uh, just in a, a short while, one or two of you, I'll just, uh, I'll actually engage with you and um, talk to you a little bit. But um, this morning I want to begin by telling something of the story of this wonderful outpouring of the Holy Spirit here in the British Isles. Uh, which is the sort of thing you can read in many books. 
But then I want to move on to some of the personal research that I've done over the last, something like the last nine or ten months, that speaks about what God was doing right here in um, Cambridge. So what I hope to do is to marry the two things together, what was happening in England and in the British Isles and in, and in Europe and the world, in fact, and then also to bring that right back here to the streets of Cambridge that we, that we know and love. In um, 1906, just coming onto my uh, slides, in 1906 in Los Angeles, there was a, an outpouring of God's spirit in a little, what was largely a black church. Today we would call it a black Pentecostal church, but there was no such thing then, you understand. A, a little mission hut, as you see, it doesn't look too glamorous. The pastor was William Seymour. He's up there on the top uh, left. And uh, in uh, 1906, uh, beginning in April, it became common in this mission hut for people to receive the Holy Spirit and speak in other tongues. Once again, can I say, very important for you to, to grasp this in terms of the story, is this wasn't happening. It was completely new. And as you can imagine, lots of religious people didn't like it very much. Uh, but this went on and went on. And then in uh, uh, that year, there was uh, a precious man by the name of uh, Thomas Barrett, whose picture is appearing here. And uh, Thomas Barrett, or T.B. Barrett, was actually an Englishman who'd moved to Norway and uh, he was uh, a missionary pastor. And he, like all missionary pastors, wanted money to uh, fund his mission. And so what T.B. Barrett did is he traveled to the United States to go from church to church to talk about his missionary work in the hope of getting uh, money uh, from the American um, churches. The trip was a complete disaster for him. In fact, he got so little money, it didn't even pay for his transportation costs to get to the United States. However, while he was in the United States, he began to hear about what God was doing in Azusa Street in the Apostolic Faith Mission uh, that you can see here. He heard about this, this new moving of the Holy Spirit. And he became very hungry for it, the problem he had was he was in New York, and this was in Los Angeles, which those of you who know America know that's, that's a few miles away. So he began to write uh, to the secretary of this church saying, please will you pray for me, please will you help me, I, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when I did my studies a few years back, I was privileged to read these letters that he sent and, and, and the replies. The replies just encouraged him to to pray and seek God. Well, praise God, in his hotel room, T.B. Barrett in New York, nowhere near this mission hut, was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. When he returned back to um, Christiana or um, Oslo in uh, Norway, he began to gather people to him and he began to pray for them. And as he put his hands upon them, they too received the baptism of the Holy Spirit 
and spoke in other tongues, receiving the power of God. News of what Barrett was doing came over to England. And now we shift the focus of the story uh, to Sunderland, here in uh, England, a few, few miles north of here, where an Anglican vicar by the name of Alexander Body, Alexander Alfred Body, an Anglican vicar, hungry for God, heard that something wonderful was going on in Los Angeles, and then he heard that it had moved a bit nearer to him. Now people were being filled with the Holy Spirit in Norway. So Body, uh, uh, an unusual Anglican probably, got on a ship and went to Norway and met with Barrett. When he arrived in Norway in Barrett's meetings, he himself also witnessed people being filled with the Holy Spirit. Body was amazed by this. He'd never seen anything like this before. He begged Barrett to say to him, look, in all your travels, would you perhaps come to my church in Sunderland, to my Anglican church? I have a little hall, little church hall, and if you can come there and hold some meetings, I'd be delighted. Barrett agreed to come, and on the 1st of September... 1907, and we'll be commemorating that in a few months' time, Barrett arrived in Sunderland and began holding meetings in Bodies Church Hall. And there, once again, people received the power of the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. Barrett held a number of days of meetings. In that time, I think it's something like 17 people received the the power of the Holy Spirit. By Easter, the following year, uh, it was 500 people had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, as you can imagine, this caught the attention of the press. It caught the attention of the churches, both both the secular press and the ecclesiastical press. And um, the way that Body felt that he would try and share this baptism of the Spirit with everyone in England who would, who, would, who would desire it, was to hold conventions. And so each, um, I think it was Easter time, May, May time, he would hold a convention and people would come from all over Europe to attend these conventions in Sunderland. This is a picture of the uh, convention from uh, 1913. I hope you can see um, a little bit of it. In fact, David, can you just come and just knock off this light, in fact, just to help us a little bit. This is, uh, as you see, the conventions are not, it's not thousands of people attending them. It's just a few people attending them. And uh, I don't know where their wives are. It looks like men uh, to me. But they're all in their suits and their ties, of course. But here's something that's really, really interesting. One of the people in that picture up there is from Cambridge. So by 1913, some of those who were visiting the Holy Spirit conventions, and you had to go, you know, under much criticism from other members of the body of Christ who thought you were demon-possessed or that it was satanic or something like this. Uh, some of those, by 1913, attending the convention, 
were from Cambridge. How do we know that? Well, we don't recognize any of them. But there was a magazine that Body began to produce called Confidence Magazine. It ran for years and years and years. And I've studied, I've studied through all these Confidence Magazines looking for any clues as to connections to Cambridge to these conventions. And Body says that in 1913 there were some present who were from Cambridge. Who were they? I've no idea who they were. But they weren't from Pentecostal churches because there weren't any then. So probably they were either uh, Anglicans or Baptists, most likely, who were hungry for the Holy Spirit. So just to give you the timeline again, the Spirit of God comes in Azusa Street in Los Angeles in 1906. By 1907, it has come to Sunderland. That experience has come. By 1913, people from Cambridge, I think by that time, they may have come earlier than that. But by 1913, people from Cambridge are visiting these Pentecostal conventions in Sunderland. Eventually, there were groups that left Sunderland, came home, and they began their own Pentecostal prayer meetings all over the country. Sometimes, of course, people who had received the Holy Spirit in this way were thrown out of their church when they got home. Especially if they were the minister. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But what happened is they began to find each other. It's interesting that whenever there's a new move of the Holy Spirit, the people involved in that new move somehow managed to find each other. They'd find each other. So they began to meet together. And they began to meet together here in Cambridge as well. Well, all over the place, these groups were forming. And it was important that after they'd have been going for some time, of course, the First World War came and, and kind of cut the revival dead for a little bit. But it became important for these groups to come together. There was a man in Manchester who had such a particular, what they called now, Pentecostal church. And he was called John Nelson Parr. And he then began to uh, bring these groups together as best as he could. And in 1924, a whole bunch of them came um, in one place together to say, we will not just be independent, we're going to work together. And they uh, called themselves the Assemblies of God. And uh, from that time, from about, I don't know what it was then, about 50 churches that joined in that first group, now there's many, many hundreds of Assemblies of God churches in the British Isles. Confidence magazine disappeared, but in its place came a new magazine called Redemption Tidings, which in a sense is still going, it's called something different now, but it's still going today. In my research regarding the origins of this church and how it all began, one of the places that was the most obvious for me to go was to read through uh, Redemption Tidings beginning from 1924. I've read quite a lot this year, let me tell you. And uh, just seeing where they were, whether there were mentions of uh, Cambridge. And here is a really 
really interesting one uh, that appears in uh, 1926. Now, uh, I don't know how much of this you can uh, see or, or read. It's a column of items of interest. So this is now, this is a Pentecostal magazine. And here we have a new leaflet, you see, by Mr. Smith Wigglesworth. Anyone heard of him? Okay, now, I'm, I don't believe you can still get that magazine today from 37 Crouch Hill, London, but you can try. But this is 1927. And uh, as we see, look, we see that Mr. J.A. Andrew is open to receive appointments for a mission services. You know, there's a little advert there uh, in case we might want to uh, uh, use his services, something like that. But, but the thing I want to draw you to is the final uh, little ad uh, at, the, at the bottom there, which I hope that many of you will be able to read. And it says this, Mr. C.F. Smith of 12 South Hill Park Gardens, Hampstead, Northwest, that's London, 3, would be glad to know of any Pentecostal friends residing in the vicinity of Cambridge. Isn't that interesting? And it'll get more interesting as we, as we link this together. There's a Mr. C.F. Smith, who was in London, who was obviously part of the Assemblies of God, uh, in, either in a very early or very developed way. And we're talk this is just three years after the Assemblies of God began. Who writes this article, I wonder if there are any Pentecostals in Cambridge. I was so excited by this little find... And then I got further excited because I thought to myself, I wonder what 12 South Hill Park Gardens, Hampstead, I wonder where that is. I wonder if that's important. And to my delight, I discovered that this is the address of the, Bible, the very first Pentecostal Bible school in Britain that was at Hampstead uh, uh, being run by... John and Howard Carter and Harold Horton and uh, C.L. Parker and one or two other names that some here may, may know. The very first uh, ministerial training college for Pentecostals pretty much in the world, really, in terms of a, uh, a, um, an organized um, program, as best as we know, was the one in Hampstead. And Mr. C.F. Smith, of 12 South Hill Park Gardens was part of it. So he was training um, for, the, for the ministry. Shall we have a look at him? Here he is. Here he is. This is uh, C.F. Smith. Which, if memory serves, is Cecil Frederick. Cecil Frederick Smith. And uh, this gentleman on the screen was uh, the man who wrote that letter and uh, was in London training. We know that shortly after he wrote that letter, he planted his first church in London. Uh, and then within a year of that, was pastoring a church in Canterbury. And then, within a year or two of that, was right here in Cambridge, leading this first Assemblies of God church that had come into being right here in Cambridge, possibly as a result of whoever it was that attended that 1913 
convention. Now we have, uh, you recognize this picture up here, this, I'm coming to my VIP section now over here. You recognize this gentleman on the, on the screen here. And uh, thank you very much to David for helping me with all these um, um, pictures here and, and uh, everyone else who's uh, helped me. Do you remember him looking like that? Does that look how he looked to you or, or does he look a bit young in, the, in that? Uh, <laughs> he may look a little bit younger there than some of you remember him. But uh, we do have, now, uh, can I come to you, George, if I may? Uh, do you want to just stand up and just come and, uh, why don't you just give George a little, a little welcome to, yeah. do you want to come out the front, do you? <coughs> Now, am I, I, I always want to check I'm right, am I running thing here? You are a relative of this gentleman here. He's my uncle, he's my mother's brother. So, you, side. so it was your. This is your mother's. My brother, uncle. Yes. So that's your uncle. Yes. Okay. Now, can anyone see the likeness or not? Do you think he looks a bit like him? Or? <laughs> not very much. A little bit, perhaps. You'd, uh, maybe, well, maybe the dog collar would help you to look more well, like him. I ain't got a dog collar on. I don't have a dog collar. <laughs> so, um, do you? What can you tell us about this this man? What memory? Do you have any? Oh, memories? lots of memories. Yeah, because. Uh, he was our uncle, and we, he, he didn't wear a dog collar in the Sembins of Guards. He just wore all his suits. Yes. But we lived with his mother. We shared out with his mother, howdy lady. And, uh, yeah, he'd come round there, and she was drinking stout out of the glass, eating bread and cheese for her dinner. So he used to walk in, and he used to say, Mother, you mustn't drink that. You must drink um and petrol. So she said, what um and petrol? She, he said, a cup of tea. Do you more good than that? So she, a, a cup of tea is human petrol. Yes. Oh, we'll have to remember that. <laughs> what he used to say, as he's saying, and we had to be able to live, live in America, because I was bereft from my father in 1935. He got murdered on his own doorstep. So I was the youngest of five children. So I had everything what was left off. My brothers left broken down toys. I played with and everything else that made things fit me. And uh, we was, as we bereft by the father, he, he got killed and my mother had to go and live with her mother, which is in Cambridge. So that's where we saw him quite regular. He came round and he got us to come to Sunday school. Yeah, Sunday school, we called it, we called it the tool shed. You know, talk about tens and uh, Newmarket Road. And I'd done everything because I was, I was in every bit of trouble possible as boys are, and my brother, who's sitting here as well. We were all in, but he used to rope us in to doing jobs in the church. Because he didn't have many other men. The other men were deacons, but they had to keep their own jobs and do their own jobs, you know. So he roped us in to empty the baptistry out, which was underneath the platform, and uh, to clean it out of spiders and everything else when he got baptistry service. It's interesting you about that, because after the service, I wonder if you just go down into the tank and get out some of the spiders that are in there today. <laughs> We used to wash it out, put it up the water and eat it up. And you uh, used to go to the baptismal service. But I always used to say to him, why? Why are you doing this for? Why are you doing that for? He said, you're supposed to come to the church instead of acting about in the Sunday school. You might learn something. But I never did go to the church at all. Okay. Just tell me the story. We met in your, in your home yeah. about six months ago, wasn't it? No, must it was be. Ago, what was, was the, I'd seen you before. What was the story that you told me how you had some accident? Yeah, and I the was, church prayed for you, and God, God well, healed you. I was uh, counted as one of the Pentecostal believers, but I, do, I didn't believe anything. But besides all that, 
I was joined the Armed Cadet Force. We all my brothers, we all followed, went to the Armed Cadet Force because they got us out going to Sunday school, going to church and all these other questions. So we joined up, I was the youngest one, the other brothers had left, and uh, we went away to camp, weekend camp, Easter, 1949, and we went in army, army trucks, you know, three-ton Bedford trucks with a hood on the back, and uh, we went away, and oh, we, we went well away, we were little soldiers, you know, so we fought. I run around with guns and everything else, rifles. So what actually happened to you? You had some accident on well, your head? Well, we came back, came back home on Easter Monday, and when they had a convention at Newmarket Road, uh, everybody came in from the area, and Norman Young was the guest speaker for that particular weekend at Easter, 1949, April 18th was the actual day, and uh, uh, Laurie had an accident and tipped over, so I had my head crush. Well, whoa, whoa, whoa. A lorry fell on your head, effectively. No, it was in the back. Oh, you were, it, you were in the lorry yeah, and it overturned. It overturned. I had my head crushed and I got a root right across the top where I was cut down. And anyway, they cut us off to Addenbrooke's, the old Addenbrooke's, yes. by three ambulances. There's nine of us hurt. And I was the worst one. Well, because my mother contacts her brother, my uncle, yes. and tells him what happened, so he comes down to the hospital same night. Um, Mr. Truscott, who was the brain surgeon at the time, in charge of accident, he said, well, he said, there's nothing I can do for him. I've done all I can. He said, but we give him three hours. So the three brain surgeon it. believed that you would die within three hours? He said I would be gone in three hours. Then you need to do the necessary. So my uncle calmly said, well, he said, do you mind if we pray? So, so this is Mr. Smith, yeah, came to the hospital you, and said, yeah. do you mind if we pray? Do you mind if we pray? So, because, <laughs> as the surgeon told me after, after I came round, explained everything to me, he said, he said, quite calm, do you mind if we pray? He said, well, I'll get one or two people to pray overnight. And they got one or two people from other churches, other assemblies, to pray. So they prayed. So on the Tuesday morning, I was slightly improved. Then I was unconscious seven days round, and you don't know, you can't remember much when you'll be unconscious. I do remember one thing, I upset all the boys at the camp on the Sunday, and they hung me out a, a third floor window, and they go drop me on my head. They said, if you don't behave yourself, we're going to drop you and leave you here. But they only joking. They get, <laughs> get to me and say sorry. You know, anyway, so I said sorry, so they pulled me back. So we carried on. I got unconscious seven days round. I come round and... As this surgeon walked down the ward, I could try and thank him. Don't thank me, he said. I've done nothing. You go back to that church and thank the Lord. He said, that's your uncle, the part of that church. that's uh, got prayer going, and you would answer prayer. So I'm still... So the surgeon said that he hadn't done, done anything for you. He wouldn't take no thanks off me. And he said, no, that's your uncle. who was the pastor of the church. He used to look how you. He got the people to pray. And he said, you've still got three hours to live, far as I'm concerned. No, I'm still living that three hours. That was in 1949. 1949. Those are long hours. Yes. Why don't we just give God thanks for that? <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Well, we want to really honour your uncle today, and yes, I hope do. I hope as much as we can we do so. That's for, a very um, heavy story to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I, can, I can imagine. Well, we're glad that God gave you longer than three hours oh, yeah. to be here today. Why don't you just give me a round of applause? You can go back to your seat. Thank you. 
Yeah, wonderful. Uh, here we have uh, the, just to give us some um, records. Again, these are the uh, Assemblies of God records just telling us that, now I know you can't see that, but uh, this is a record of churches that were in the Fellowship of Assemblies of God in 1929. And I've highlighted the bottom part there so you can see Mr. C.F. Smith in Cambridge. That's its first appearance. And uh, so I can absolutely confidently tell you that this church began in 1929. That's when it began. There may well have been a prayer meeting going on for two years before that, or maybe since 1913. (laughs) But in terms of a a kind of a a church that was uh, operating with a pastor and some leaders and the kind of things we'd associate with a with a church. Uh, this church began in 1929. And uh, let's see, this is what it looked like. This is, is, is that right, VIPs? Yes. Looks a bit like this. And uh, this is in, um, now you can try going looking for this this afternoon, but you'll never find it now because it's gone. But this was in Newmarket Road. And uh, if you are uh, traveling down Newmarket Road from, um, the Grafton Centre roundabout, and you head down Newmarket Road, uh, just really before, I'm being very approximate here, but just really, just before you get to the, the, the new Tesco, if you were to pull over on the left, uh, th- this building was just kind of along there. And uh, no longer here now, I believe, am I right in thinking it was, it was, oh, there's a, there's a war memorial there now. Okay, thank you. Am I right in thinking that this was something to do with the gas buildings or something like that and this picture it's not a it's not a photograph that i found I, this came out of a uh, 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 assemblies of god um, magazine and i managed to scan it but this is this is the place and uh, should we look inside if you want to look inside the building here we go this is looking inside the building and uh, uh I'm rightly thinking it wasn't a, a terribly big building, but uh, uh, with, with wicker chairs, I, I've seen some, some pictures. And uh, I don't know whether I should do this, but I've got a laser pointer on here. And um, I'm just coming to the back so I can see a little bit better. There's a, there's a person in the, in the picture, and I think it's this person here. Can you see this lady here? Can you see that? Does that look like anyone that you know? Does that look like you, Maud? It does. It does. Now, she didn't have the red dot on her. But I think, Maud, that's you. And I think this is your beloved husband here. I think that's Sid there. Is that right? Have have I got that right? I mean, I wasn't there, you understand, so I stand to be... I stand to be um, corrected. No, no, well, here, um, just um, if, if the VIPs can help me, is this Mr. Smith here? Yes. That's Mr. Smith, isn't it? I mean, it's with, without the dog collar and a, and a tie on, but there is Mr. Smith. So here is the, uh, here's the inside of, the, uh, of what was Hebron Pentecostal Church, right? And uh, I don't know quite when this picture was taken, uh, 
But Maud, you, you, you only look 80 in this picture, so I don't know how long ago it was. <laughs> Maybe 50 years ago or something, but I, um, yeah, there, there it is. That's the, that's the inside of it. And here are all the, all the children coming in for Sunshine Corner on a, on a Thursday night. And I want to talk to another special guest as well right now. I want to talk to Mrs. Leroy. Can I talk to Mrs. Leroy? Now, I can come to you. You don't have to come to me. But I came to your home not so long ago. We had some, we, we, we had some human petrol together. <laughs> as, I, as I remember. And it's wonderful to see you here today. I'm so glad you're able to come. And Jill as, as, as well. Thank you for coming. Is, you're not. Are you, no, you're not on there, are you? You're both on that, on that, on that picture. Oh, you'll have to tell me later. You'll have to come and tell me later. Uh, when we spoke in your home, you said to me, now tell me if I'm right or wrong, but I seem to recall you saying to me that you came to the church in 1931. Have I got that about right? You said you were about 11 years old or something at the time. You were 11 or 13 years old or something like that. So you go back a long, long way, don't you? What do you, what do you remember about it? Maybe more excited earlier okay. for Sunday school. Okay. So, so you and Maud were good friends. Yes. And you told me in the car that you've been friends with her now for 80 years. Must be, yeah. You've been friends for 80 years. Gosh. I just can't imagine being friends with anyone, even for eight years. <laughs> eight, and, and you're still friends, though you are sitting on opposite sides of the church at the moment. <laughs> what do you, <laughs> yes, <laughs> what do you remember about those old days? Anything, anything you want to say that you, that you can remember? Well, when Mr. Smith was there, well, we had um, a week's campaign a special man came, and that night, six young people gave their lives to the Lord. Amen. What was this? I remember when we were having our human petrol in your home. Mm. Did you tell me that it was your husband called Cyril? Yes. I got that right. And didn't you tell me there was one occasion when Cyril, the Holy Spirit came upon him and he spoke, did he speak in Chinese? Um, tell the story, what actually happened there? Well, that was in the Sunday morning meeting um, when we had, used to have praise and worship and, and tongues. And he gave a message in tongues. And Sid, Maudie's husband, interpreted it. And after the meeting, this man came up who hadn't seen him before. And he told him then, he spoke in perfect Chinese. And your husband didn't study Chinese. Other, other than the local takeaway, he didn't know any, he didn't know any, any Chinese himself. So by the Spirit, he spoke. In this. Isn't that extraordinary? These are good stories to hear. These are good stories to hear. Are you, are you pleased to be here today? Just bring back a few memories. Bless you. It's an honor to have you here. Why don't you give a round of applause? Thank you. Yeah, there they are, look. Uh, I think they're behaving for the camera, aren't they? But 
I think I can see Jill, actually. I think I, I, won't, I won't put the pointer, but I think I know, I think I know which one is Jill. Well, that's, that's just wonderful. Here we have, uh, as has been mentioned a few times, there were a number of uh, conventions. It was the custom in those days to hold a convention every sort of Easter time and used to bring in special speakers and things like this. And uh, here is a, here's a clipping. Actually, I think it was you that gave me this. I, I, I need to give this back to you. But here's a little clipping. This is from the Cambridge Evening News. So just to show that it wasn't just recently that this church gets in the Cambridge Evening News. It's been in it for a while. And this is from 1937. How do I know that? Because I had to work back the dates to know that there was in, of Good Friday being on the 26th of March. So I just went through the calendars and came up with that. And we have here... Uh, Good Friday special annual Easter meetings speaker, Mr. Mr. A. Brazier. Remember him? No, so he wasn't any good then. Okay. Um, And various others. I see Jay Curtis is there, which is interesting. Special singing by the young people and soloist, Mrs. L. Smith. That's CF's uh, wife, right? Lillian, isn't it? Lillian. Formerly Lillian Bainbridge, they were married in uh, Mill Road Baptist Church, uh, just down the road from here. And we see that Jesus Christ is proclaimed as Savior, Healer, Baptizer, and Coming King. Uh, Mr. Smith, uh, part of what we're doing today is really just to honor the work that he did. And uh, he came to the assembly in 1929. He, he died... Uh, while still being the minister of the church, as far as I can make out. And he died in uh, something like 1966. 63, okay, I beg your pardon. And uh, actually there was a a beautiful uh, chapter in a book. The author is Fred Unwin, who wrote books about Cambridge. And there's a beautiful chapter in, in, it's only about six or seven pages of text that speaks about Mr. Smith and uh, his, his love for the, for the children in the Sunday school and how he learnt that one of the children in the Sunday school uh, whose mother was sick at home and he went to visit her. And it's a beautiful, a, a beautiful tribute to the shepherd's heart that this, that this precious man had. The other thing I want to say about him, um, just by way of just piecing all the history together, is because he attended the Hampstead uh, Bible School, then he would have uh, directly sat under the ministries of the early Pentecostal um, teachers and preachers. Now today, we are all still receiving from those ministries through books. But he, uh, I mean, uh, there's a book on the gifts of the Spirit by Harold Horton, it is the all-time world classic on the gifts of the Spirit. Probably many of the things that most of us in this room believe about the gifts of the Spirit come from that book. Even you may, not have, you may not have read it, but the person who taught you did read it. Well, Mr. Smith was a student at the time when Harold Horton was actually teaching it. So uh, 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 C.F. Smith was... Uh, uh, in a sense, a very privileged man. At the time, they didn't know how privileged they were because they were under a lot of persecution from the religious people and, and, and all of the AOG churches began very small and, and really struggled to get, to get going. And then they had to get through two world wars, you understand. 
but it was, it's extraordinary to me to think that the first pastor of this church was someone who directly sat under the ministries of men like Howard Carter and Howard Horton, and uh, that, just, that just thrills my heart. Um, then there came uh, a change. There were a couple of other ministers that followed after Smith. One was L.W. Woodford, uh, uh, who, who wrote some hymns that appear in the Pentecostal hymnal, actually. And uh, he, he was around just for a few years. And then Mr. Scott was here. And then we come to uh, 1969, and, and, and we have a new, uh, a, a new person outside the, uh, the building. We have Mr. Ralph Inskip there. Uh, he's the one on the, on the, on the right-hand side. So, Ralph, why don't, why, don't, um, why don't you come and say hello, and we'll give you a big greeting as you come. First of, all, first of all, I'd like to thank you for pointing out that I'm the man... On the right-hand side. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, yeah, I heard something strange happen to the man on the left, but we won't go there with oh, him. Yeah. But this is you outside the, uh, outside the old... Hebron Pentecostal Church in Newmarket. That's right, yes. So how did you, a respectable man like yourself, end up uh, uh, being here? How did, what actually happened to you to mean that you became the pastor of the church? Well, um, I had an inclination from the Lord, and I just stuck it in, in the background of memory, uh, that one day I would be the pastor of Cambridge Pentecostal Church. At that time, Mr. Woodford was here and uh, he he was doing very, very well. And uh, I just dismissed these thoughts, you know, as just something, you know, got into your head. You'll never do that. And so um, I dismissed it. Mr. Woodford left. They had another pastor, Mr. Uh, Scott. 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 I never did meet the man, but I met Mr. Woodford. And uh, when I was um, thinking about this, um, uh, Mr. Scott had come, and um, well, I was, this this thing about coming to Cambridge was just. Uh, fantasy of mine and um, thought no more about it and then uh, I was asked to come and preach because I was then at Debden Pentecostal Church having been uh, frustrated with um, what happened at Great Sanford Baptist Church where I was the minister and of course after receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit in in a prayer meeting at uh, Saffron Walden um, changed my life completely. My ministry went um, through the roof. And so, so you're one of those Baptist pastors who got filled with the Spirit and then really had to leave the, the church over it. Well, I left the church over it because of the... Uh, problems. Problems. <laughs> but leaving problems at uh, Sanford and going on to Debden... Uh, didn't solve all the problems because when I arrived here in Cambridge, uh, 
I realised and was told by Mr Daniel, who was the secretary there here then, that um, they had to look for another building. Now, I, I, I have a picture of a building that you were, you were looking at. Let, if you just come over here. You were looking at this building, weren't you? Yes, because Mr Daniel told me that he and Mr Woodford... Uh, Mr Daniel used to come and see me every Monday morning, because that was the day he was off work, and uh, talk about what happened in the past and uh, what the vision was for the future. But they had... Um, during Mr. Woodford's time, this, this church was sort of um, neither here nor there, and there were just a few people there. And uh, Mr. Woodford's vision was that one day this would be a Pentecostal church, which was a strict Baptist church at that time. Mr. Daniel tells me all about this, but um, unfortunately we lost him just before we moved. The, the, the early part of the year that we moved into... Into so this, we're in, we're in 1971 now, aren't we? Something like 1971. That's right, when we moved when here. This was, now, I have some pictures of the, what I believe is the, is the very first, or, or among the first few meetings here. Oh, yes, that uh, lady on the side here. This one. This one here was Miss Shula, okay. who uh, was here uh, from part of the original uh, church, one of the eldest, older members. Uh, that is George, who uh, was talking to you a minute ago. Is that right? Uh, that's is right. that you, George, here, here on, the, on the left-hand side, that's holding George. the gate open? Okay, oh, wow. Um, <laughs> talking to the fellow in the front there, Mr. Leroy. Yeah. Oh, the, so this is Cyril. Cyril. Is that Cyril up Cyril. there? Cyril Leroy? Okay. And, and here, are, you can't really see it, but in the, 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 in the original... The lady with the back to us was uh, Cyril's mother. Okay. In the original, it says, Jesus is all you need. Come and hear Ralph Inskip preach and pray for the sick. That's what it says on yeah, that. That's uh, right. Well, we had to start it off with a campaign. Here we are. Let me show you the inside. Here you are inside, Ralph. This is your inside. Oh, uh, yes. The days well, when there was, was a... Uh, that was uh, after the transformation. Because when we first came here, we only hired the building mm -hmm. of the strict Baptist people. They allowed us to come in, lock, stock and barrel, crockery, the lot, um, and we paid, I think it was uh, £100 a year, Maud, was it? Something like that. Uh, and then uh, we were here for about four or five years before we actually purchase the building. Okay. But we had to transform it. This was the transformation that you just showed now. Okay. Yeah, up there was a pulpit, um, which we weren't allowed to move. Of course, it was very sacred. And the, yeah, the I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't dream of taking out the pews or the, the pulpit. pulpit. No, well, that, you've got someone else to blame Yeah, someone else did oh. that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but those pews were a problem when we first came here. They were filthy because, of course, the people were meeting in the back hall the latter part of the time. Okay. So the church itself wasn't, moved, wasn't used. Yes. But these pews were a nightmare. Okay. Um, and so several of the ladies got together. I think it's over. And, and cleaned them up. And uh, I think this is Leroy and, uh, and uh, Maud literally scrubbed them. Mm. 
and brought it brought it back to life. Yes, but uh, they used a special some special stuff. Okay, let me show you. Let me show you in the in the tank. Do you reckon? Do you remember this? This is you baptizing. Where was this? Here. Uh, this, this, here, this here, is here. 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 Yes, that's right. And Pauline, you're you're here actually. That's you up there, in the back, and and that's Sid, I think, up on the, on the top, top right. That's Peter Dyson. And uh, Peter, Peter Dyson, Dyson is in the is in the tank. So just uh, just good. We, we need to we need to move oh, on. I realise that. Now, I just wanted to ask you, uh, how do you feel? How do you feel today? I remember you you telling me once that in one of the meetings you were holding, someone gave some prophetic utterance that the days would come when the glory of the, the latter house would be greater, or something like well, that. That was the opening uh, of, the, of the building. We, we dedicated it to the Lord, you know. And he said the, the uh, Fred Brown, who was the minister at Norwich Assembly at that particular time, uh, spoke on the, the uh, blessing of the latter house would um, precede that of the yes. former. And we, we experienced that time and time again. And uh, we also had prophecy that uh, this building would be filled. Uh, we didn't see it in our time, but uh, Glenn didn't see it in his time, but it's happening now. So praise God. Uh, it's a little while coming, but the vision was there. Yeah, that was the prophecy. From, so so from you, were, you were a... You came in 1969, and you left Glen. When did you come? 1992, 1993. I left. Um, so that's 24 years, isn't it? 24 years of uh, service here. Come on. 24 years of service. Come on, give him a good. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> and what would you say? Glory to God. Glory to God. There was one other story that I picked up, actually. Ralph, you can, you can come with me here. But I remember, I think uh, it was George's wife, Tessa. Tessa, when, we, when I came around for some tea one time, Ralph, you can, you can come with me. If you like. Did you tell me a story of how you had a slip disc? And, and um, Brother Inskip prayed for you and God touched you. Can you, can you. can you remember that? I was in the church and I had a slip disc. And uh, I, after the service, I went, got out to the car, this George Pat outside. And I just remember, and I had such awful pain. And um, yeah. he um, and Pastor Inskip came out into the car and prayed for me. And to this day, I know because I just felt from my head a warm feeling go down in my back, and I never had any pain since. It was absolutely, I never had it. remember that? She was stuck in the car, she couldn't get out of the car, and just went in and laid my hand on her and prayed. And, and the Lord healed her. Just like that. Uh, there was one other um, thing that happened. We, we had a message in the Spirit. Spirit and uh, George was George knows about this uh, fellow from uh, 
Saudi Arabia yeah. uh, said that uh, it, I go, it looks like he doesn't know this, this, this message and uh, he I think said interpreted it and uh, it, it was in his own language and he understood oh, yeah, everything okay. okay so there was another instance of yeah. speaking in tongues that was understood yeah, by those who heard tell you but we went out in the car we often did go out in the car to a meeting and we go up to the gog and the car stopped so he said what are we going to do I said I don't know I said you lay down on the bonnet and I, <laughs> I pray I've done that myself I, haven't I, you and that started and it's never stopped since I've asked for miraculous petrol uh, provision in mine bless you oh yes I was going to tell you about a, a funny story really funny story hilarious really it was bitterly cold, it was Christmas, and we decided, well, some, some of us, that uh, we were going to have a uh, turkey supper. <laughs> we can have a turkey supper, you can't have it in the church. I said, well, we'll do something else. Stupidest thing I think I ever did uh, hear of, but uh, it came off all right. We hired, or, or we borrowed, a marquee from the cadet force, stuck it out there on the car park and uh, snow on the ground. At uh, that time, we, the central heating wasn't working here when we f first came. There's a lot, lot I could tell you, but I'll do that another time. Uh, this turkey supper, they cooked it in the kitchen. We had uh, Keller gas heaters up the aisle each side. Yeah at that particular time because the heating wasn't done. And um, they cooked it and we catered for uh, over a hundred people. They all had hot turkey and uh, all the trimmings. Uh, and that was um, one of the funniest things that happened. The other one, one was they'd done a, George done a thing about uh, on one of my anniversaries, uh, this is your life. No, that's another story. You'll hear that another time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We've got to move on then. Yeah. Oh, bless you. Why don't you give him another round of applause? Come on, Glenn. Welcome, Glenn Balfour, if you will. <laughs> wow, look at this. Well, it's good to see you. It's good to be back. Thanks for taking all the pews out. Thank you very much. <laughs> Just don't tell the police. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're trying to... No, I believe the policeman bought them all in that. Okay, okay, okay. What are your memories of, of things? Let me just give you the mic. Well, um, I could keep you here for hours, I'm sure, as everyone could, which I, I won't do, don't worry. But um, the Lord really laid it on my heart that we should move from Newark, where my wife and I, Caroline and I, and our four children, all very um, young at the time, um, and they're all in their teens now, of course, so they've all changed. Um, I, I just felt a call to move to Cambridge and to cut a long story short, made some contact with Ralph. And it was just amazing how the Lord led that. And I could give you loads of stories about that. But we moved down here and we were both 29, Caroline and I, back in 1993. And, and I count it as having been here for seven years. Yes, we're now both 42. Just <laughs> <laughs> and we were here for um, thanks for saving me the yes yeah yeah 
We were here for um, seven years, I kind of count it, because that was when I moved to work full-time at Mattersley Hall. And just have some really fond memories. God had really blessed Ralph and Jean during their time here. But when we took over, numbers were quite small. I think there were seven folks here when we came. And we sort of built it gradually up to about 40 by the time we left. And, uh, and just God really blessed us here. We, we um, changed the central heating. There is one funny story. There were big heaters in the four corners. And there was one time when I'd come in with Sid and Maud was doing the cleaning. Maud used to clean all the pews every single week, certainly in my time anyway. And, and we were just out the front and I just heard a, ooh and I came back, in the, came back in the main, in this main room. There was a little bit of soot on Maud's hair. And she bent down about six feet in front of one of the boilers. And a big flame had shot out and just singed her hair. She looked like a Mohican, little spots of dust. So poor Maud. So we decided that was the Lord's way of telling us. I just need to point out, that isn't a funny story at all. Yes. <laughs> it wasn't. It really wasn't. It was, I, maybe I, it shows my level of thankfully, but it really, it really was quite funny, even at the time, actually. And, uh, but we decided that was, that was time then to change the um, heating system. So I put in central heating, and then we got rid of the pews, and just as I left, we put down the carpet. And, um, and in fact, this place was decorated. We got the local council in, and about, just about two years before I left, and they did all this wonderful stuff and put some windows in there. They really made a good job of it, actually. But God really blessed us during our time. And right near the end of it, Peter and I were talking. And I'm sure he could pick it up from here. But basically, it was just amazing how the Lord led us for me to pass the baton on to um, Peter. And one thing that this actually reminds me of is that in a sense, you know, it doesn't matter what God's calling is in your life. In a sense, you're actually carrying the baton to pass it on to the next generation. It doesn't matter who you are. Actually, you're passing on the baton. And there is a, a, a race that we all run and ultimately we run it for Jesus actually there is a baton ultimately that will pass on to Jesus one day when he comes back and it's just it just thrills my heart to know that the work begun way before my time with people like Reverend Smith and of course Ralph and Jean Inskip with their years of faithfulness and you know Sid and Maud Curtis and myself and many others some of whom are here and some of whom obviously have moved on and just carrying on with what Peter's doing now as well and I know God and obviously Jay as well and God's going to do Good things in the future, I'm sure of that. What are your, uh, just take a minute <clears throat> your recollections of bringing me into it, because you were, you were instrumental. Really. Yeah. That's a very old picture of me. This is what I used to look like. <laughs> look at that. He hasn't changed that much, has he, really? He hasn't changed. Still good looking, young, suave, sophisticated. And that's just me. Um, <laughs> um, um, it, it, it's interesting, really. When I, I used to teach part-time at Mattersea Hall, which is the Assemblies of God Bible College that goes right back to Hampstead Heath, as we mentioned earlier on. And I used to teach there way back from 1989. And so all during my time at Cambridge, we, as I said, we came here in 93, I was teaching part-time at Mattersea Hall. Uh, all during that time, I used to teach New Testament Greek and some other things. Um, and Peter was one of my students. Actually, and when were you at Mattersley Hall from? 91 to 94, there you go. Um, and in fact, that was when you first became introduced to Cambridge, in actual fact, which, which may, maybe we can mention. And I used to teach down there, and uh, many students have made a real impression on me, uh, most for good, <laughs> and, but um, three students in particular 
really spiritually, I just felt a link with. Um, to the extent that if the Lord allowed it, I'd love to be involved in ministry with them. And the first of those was Peter. And there was just something spiritual about Peter, something about his heart for God. And it might sound strange, but you can lose your heart for God when you're at Bible college. Uh, that shouldn't happen and doesn't often happen, but it can happen. And Peter was one of those people that I just saw, just kept running for God and looking for the good and looking for the positive all during that time. And in fact, during your last year, you were here on placement with us and came down with some other students, Jackie Brock and uh, uh, the girl who used to say Wicked Brill. I've forgotten her name now, but uh, and just had a good time. Sophie, Sophie and Jason Hool, and just had a good time. That was back in the days of Russell and, uh, uh, Russell and Julie and all that kind of group, and Mark Hardwell, so just a few of you know, know some of those names. And, uh, and so that was when you first came down. And after then, Peter moved back to Torquay. And I have to say, it actually impressed me how Peter left Mattersea because some people leave Bible college wanting to be seen to have been successful, wanting to be seen to have made it in the ministry. And actually, you know, God is the best one at proving your success ultimately. And Peter just said, I'm going to go back home and I'm going to get back involved in what was down there. And, and Peter did that, went back to your old job in some ways. And yet out of all of that, God really blessed him, kept that deposit that God had put in his heart through Mattersea Hall and, and I'm sure through times, times leading up to that time. And during those next years, we became involved in ministry and in leadership down there. And Peter and I kept up links. Uh, I wouldn't want to overstate the case, but once every six months to a year, we'd phone each other up and we kept lines of accountability with each other and that kind of thing. And it came time for me to, it was, it was, it was clear that I was getting more and more part-time at Mattersea. It started off with one day, two days, three days. Um, Ray, Ray and Dream remember those times as well. And, and it became clear that uh, we were going to have to make a decision. And it was clear that the decision should be to move to Mattersea Hall, about 100 miles north of here, where we've, where we've come down from this morning. And the only, all I can simply say, I can't say they were angels, but it was clear to me the only and the right person for me to pass the baton on to was Peter. And he was a single man at the time, stayed single for a few years after then, but now he's spoken for good stuff. And, um, and um, yeah, there you go. I was, I was at the wedding. <laughs> and, and I think that's pretty much my kind of recollection of it. We just started a journey. Peter came down. It's amazing, isn't it? Sometimes finding the will of God is just an instant thing, and God can speak to you through a vision or through a prophecy or, through just, or just through something in the Bible. And other times, you've just got to walk each step and say, Lord, lead us. And, you know, God's given us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And the spirit sometimes uses revelation. Just that moment of, you know, out of the blue. I mean, our moving to Cambridge was a moment of revelation. And, and sometimes God just speaks to a spirit of wisdom where you just begin to pray. And I think, I think I'd say there was revelation during that time, without doubt. There's a very real sense in which Peter was the right man to hand on to. And, and he'd had a history, of course, with Cambridge. And so you came here effectively in the, in the year 2000. And we had a year of transition kind of thing where I was full-time at Mattersea. And, and it was just, a, just, again, amazing how the Lord planned that year. Just to have a year work. You know, they do say in church life, years of transition can be wobbly years. 
because it can, you know, it's, it's the friction between the old and the new and, you know, old wine and new wineskins, all that kind of stuff. But we had an amazing year and it was just such a good way just to hand on to someone who, who, who I knew God had appointed to take the church on to the next level. And, um, How do you feel about being here today? I feel amazed. I just feel good. It just feels good. It's, it's uh, different, but it's the same. It's different, but it's similar. And it's just, it's just so good just to see what God's doing here. Um, um, I've come back here a few times. Maybe if I hadn't come back here at all during the last six or seven years, there'd be more memories flooding back of that time. But we could, I could tell you some memories back then. It was amazing how we moved in here, how we got, I won't say too much, but how we got the driveway sorted out and all that kind of stuff, and people remember about that. And it's just good to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And let me just say this. You know, when you reminisce, it it is a good thing to do, but you've actually got to be careful about reminiscing. Actually, because what we've got is now, and what we've got is the future. And as I kind of look back, it's amazing how God reminds the Israelites of the past. Remember what I did for you, how the Egyptians went into the Red Sea and didn't come out the other side. And then immediately, God, having told them about the past, then says, now forget the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. And there's a sense in which the biggest thrill in my heart is looking back as a way to look forward. Because actually what matters is now, what matters is tomorrow. I was looking at my year planner last year and just noticing it's got all this year's dates. It's got all of next year's dates down the side. But, you know, it hasn't got last year's dates. <laughs> it's gone. Last year's gone. And there's a sense in which the real thrill in my heart is just actually the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and the God of Reverend Smith and the God of... Uh, Ralph and Jean and the God of Sid and Maud actually is the God of today. He's the God of Peter and Jane, your God. And I tell you, he can do immeasurably more than all we ask or think. And I say one little thing about the past. It's so good. But one dangerous thing is if it becomes your limit for how God can bless you in the future, you've put a cap on how God can bless you. You know, actually, God can do more in the future years than he's ever done in that past. And that word that Ralph mentioned about the latter years' blessings will be greater than the former years. I'm believing for that. And I think that's the biggest thing for me today, to know that you know, all the years of faithful service that many people have put in, and you know, people like me get, might get a little clap for it now, but actually many other hundreds of people put time and hours into, into, into God's house here in Cambridge that only heaven knows the secret of. And to know actually there's still a legacy left behind and God still has his spirit moving in Cambridge doing amazing things. So I think that's my biggest memory about the past is in, in the sense of how it points towards the future. So Bless say you, that. Peter. Bless you, Peter. Bless you. Thank you so much for the invitation. Why don't you give him a round of applause as he goes? Thank you. In a moment, we're going to pray together, and uh, it'll be a blessing. It just brings us up, really, to the present day, and uh, we just thank God for all he's done. Just my little uh, attachment to the story was in um, 1999, as we approached the year 2000, uh, I told this story six years ago, so uh, I guess most people won't have heard it then, but um, in 1999, as the new year came, you know, for the new millennium, and we all thought all our computers would break. You remember all that time? And um, 
And none of them did, did they? But we all went out and bought the protection software. Anyway, uh, I, was at a, I was at a Christian party at celebrating the new year. And I remember I came across, I was very, very ill. I had the flu, which was ever so popular then. And uh, as we were counting down, you know, 10, 9, 8, I'm thinking, oh, I feel awful. I can't, can't wait for this party to be done and to go home. And in fact, I spent the first few uh, days, I think maybe at least seven days, just lying in bed with, with the flu. And um, it was the real flu, you know, not... Sorry, Johnny wasn't at school yesterday. He had the flu, but he's back in today. It was the real flu. And um, while I was ill, the Holy Spirit came to talk to me. And um, I don't often say that, but he certainly came to talk to me. And while I was lying on my bed, sometimes there's only time God will be able to actually communicate with us is when we stop. And I was lying on my bed, and the Holy Spirit came, and he said to me three things, and I'll just tell you two of them. The third one's not really relevant for us today. But he said, he said to me, I'm going to, by the end of this year, bear in mind this was like the 4th or 5th of January of the year 2000. He said, by the end of this year, everything in your life will be different. It'll all be different. At that time, I was uh, working it was successfully, uh, as far as man rate success anyway, in a church in Torquay, we'd planted it. It was going very well. Signs and wonders were there. Uh, 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 I was, uh, the people enjoyed my teaching, and I, I didn't want to leave it, really. Uh, but the Holy Spirit said, by the end of the year, you won't, be, you won't be in Torquay. You'll be somewhere else. And he also said to me, he said, you're going to work with Glenn Balfour. I was so... Uh, sometimes when we tell these stories, we make them sound more in retrospect than they were at the time. Do you know what I mean by that? So God guided me, but at the time, you didn't know what you were doing. But I really did know at the time on this occasion. I was so moved by this revelation that I went to see my mum, who's not a Christian at all, and I stood in her kitchen and I said to her, Mum, by the end of this year, everything's going to be different, and I'm going to be working with Glenn Balfour. Now, she's not a Christian, so that was a very bold thing to say to her. You might say to your Christian friend, well, I feel God may be doing this. But I was so sure of what the Holy Spirit said. So to my amazement, by the end of the year, I was living in another place and I was working with Glenn Balfour. And just about that hand of God guide me to, to um, come here. And we really do believe that the best is, is um, yet to come. And we really do believe that there are many more things that the, the Holy Spirit wants to wants to do in this place and that his glorious presence and his power to save men and women is his heartfelt is his heartfelt desire as we think about a hundred years of Pentecost and we'll draw to a close with this thought you think about the the fire of the Spirit coming upon those people in that upper room or indeed wherever they were. And the Holy Spirit came upon them and they were filled with His power and spoke in other tongues. And uh, we have known over the years something of that experience of receiving the Holy Spirit and knowing what it is to 
pray and to speak in other tongues and, and many other gifts of the Spirit. But as a challenge to all our hearts, to mine, to yours, to all of us, the day of Pentecost is not really about the upper room, is it? But it's about the 3,000 that were outside that building who were to hear and receive the gospel and be baptized that day and be added to their number. So as we think about a hundred years of Pentecost, and we think about a hundred years of the supernatural coming into church again, uh, may God give us another hundred years of being outside the upper room, of bringing and taking that power from the prayer room uh, to the places where that power and that prayer is needed most. In our case, the streets of this, of this great city. Let me, let me truly finish with this one thought, which is a prophetic word for our city that has been in my heart for years. Glenn mentioned that I was uh, a student and used to come down, it was 93, 94, I used to come down. And um, one afternoon, there was a, an open air happening on Parker's Peace. So we went down to it to support it in some way. And a man, I don't even know who it was, one of the ministers of one of the churches, he may be dead now, he may still be ministering here in Cambridge, he may have left Cambridge, I don't know who it was. But he read a verse from, the, from, from Acts, I believe it would be chapter 18. And it was to do with Corinth, where God speaks to the Apostle Paul and says this to him, keep on speaking, that is, keep on teaching. Don't be afraid, because I have many people in this city. You, you, you familiar with that verse? Don't be afraid to speak. Keep on teaching. Because I have many people in this city. For some reason, and I want to suggest to you today, it's the Holy Spirit. That verse has stayed with me for years. And I believe, I don't know who it was, but I believe that man spoke the word of God on, the, on Parker's piece that day. Regarding this great city of Cambridge... A city where there's much affluence, much learning, but alongside that affluence and learning, scratch the surface, there's much depression, addiction, infidelity, uh, uh, atheism, or worse, religiousness. But here's the word of the Lord for the city. And I pray you hear it. I know that God hears it. And I know that principalities also hear it. That God has many people in this city. And when God said that to Paul, he didn't mean the churches are full because they weren't. He meant if you keep on bringing the word of God to this city, you will discover that I have many people who will come and hear it. Many people whose lives will be changed. And I want to deliver that again today. That although the work sometimes seems hard, 
and it was hard in 1929. It was hard in 1969. It was hard in 1999, and it will be hard in 2009. But the truth is this, that we serve the God who's won the war, who's triumphed gloriously. And God has many people in this city. Let's stand together. I invite just some of the worship team to come to come back. We don't need a full crew. We don't need a full crew, but one or two would be good. Hallelujah. Phil, I wonder if this can just sit up here again. Well, we have 10 minutes left of our time together and we're going to use it to honor the Lord. We worship you. We thank you for the blessing of today. It's been a blessing, hasn't it, to be together today. Huge thanks to all our VIPs for coming. And uh, VIPs, please don't rush off. There's something for you to eat afterwards. And some human petrol for you. Hallelujah. We worship you, Jesus. Why don't we lift up our voices to pray for his blessing? know one or two of you you don't know how to pray I understand but many others do know how to pray so let's lift up our voices to pray hallelujah <laughs> Ratu de Credibistere Veredisu Protocusto Rata de Batti de Vascaravatus Oh, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! The Bible says in the book of Timothy, I want all men everywhere to lift up holy hands to God in prayer. If you're comfortable with it, let's lift our hands to pray according to the scriptures. According to the scriptures, lifting up holy hands to God in prayer. And I want to encourage you to just begin to call down God's blessing. Begin to call down God's blessing. Ask for his goodness to be in this place. Oh God, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth. 
You have many people in this city. We thank you for it today. Worthy, worthy is the name of the Lord. We thank you for all you've done. But we pray for fresh fire today. Fresh fire, Lord, today. Thank you for what's happened. But we need you today. Come, Holy Spirit, we need you. Come, sweet Spirit, I pray. Come, in your strength and your power. Come, in your own special way. Let's keep on praying, but use this song to pray. Come, Holy Spirit, we need you. Come, sweet Spirit, I pray. Come, in thy strength and thy power. Come, in your own special way. One more time. Come.
the Lord encourages you to stay close to him. The Lord says to you that unless you become like a little child, you may not enter the kingdom of heaven. The Lord says to you, do you remember the day when you were a tiny child? You would not go far from the presence of your mother or your father. You would not wander away for you craved their security, their nearness. You were comforted and protected by their closeness. The Spirit of God says to you, why have you wandered away from the presence of your Father? Away from your Father's presence there is danger, confusion, and pain. But the Holy Spirit says to you today, come back to your Father. Why have you wandered away come back to the closeness of being with him and you will abide once again in the shadow of the almighty come back as a child in need of the closeness of their parent and you will once again taste and see that the Lord is good I'm going to ask if uh, Phil if you just come to the front and Ray can I ask everyone just very reverently just to be just to be seated just for a moment? And I would like Glenn to come out again. And can Ralph come again? Let's come into the corner here a little bit, fellas. 